welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, and I'm joined uh, once again because uh, he's been on my show for a couple of times uh, because we always enjoy our conversations. Nate Lenz, who's the uh, founder and uh, CEO of Concurrent Advisors, uh, which is a firm that I've worked with for many, many, many years. And they've um, they've had a lot of changes over the last uh, year or so, I'll say, because things go by really fast. So um I asked I asked uh, Nate to come back on the show today because um, I think that from where they were and where they are today is exponentially different. And I wanted to really just talk about the evolution of their RIA from a from a broker dealer relationship to an RIA and what that has done for them as a company and really just give everybody in my audience an idea of who they are. And, uh, you know, if you're thinking about making a move and you're looking for a, a group of a group of uh, individuals that are just good, generally good people um, that just love helping advisors. I think this is a great conversation you're about to have. So, Nate, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm great, Frank. Happy to be back with you. I know it's uh, we've been through quite a bit since I think the last time we spoke, maybe earlier uh, earlier this year. So, I was excited to get the invite back on your show. Yeah, you know, I think the you know when we talked last, you were you were just going through. Um, I think you had just gone through the conversion um, away from. Uh, Raymond James, uh, Raymond James Financial Services uh, broker dealer, and you were going to form your own RIA. So maybe we don't have to go back that far, right? But for the audience that doesn't know uh, who Concurrent is, maybe just give a ten thousand foot um, view of who Concurrent is today and and where it evolved from, and where do you think it's evolving to? Absolutely, happy to do it. Um, you know, just to give you the the short history, we built the business originally as an OSJ on the Raymond James independent broker-dealer platform. Had a tremendous amount of growth under that structure. I think we really cut our teeth in, in how we can add value to advisors. Back in September of last year, we announced the move to the uh, multi-custodial hybrid RIA space. Uh, we then embarked on building out our platform, our technology, reorganizing our team. Definitely some lessons learned. In terms of you know what that entails, uh, so we can we can get into that a little bit, and then we embarked on the conversion uh, from Raymond James's broker dealer to Fidelity as our primary custodian, uh, and moving over to the RIA back in in March this year, uh, we completed that conversion in May, and and now we're we're ready to get back on our front foot. Uh, we've started to add additional teams uh, again uh, from a recruiting perspective, and we found some I think really unique opportunities that weren't available to us previously operating in the broker-dealer structure. And that's been, I think, one of the big lessons learned is expanding horizons, right? Um, I think, what's the what's the quote from, whether it's like Spider-Man or Batman, like with great power comes great responsibility. I feel like a lot of times now we're finding ourselves pulling back on the reins and making sure that, you know, we're staying true to our core philosophies and core values because there's just so much flexibility out there, so many ways to do this. So that's been a big lesson learned. But we're... Uh, we're through the conversion. 
it came with its share of scraped knees and bloodied elbows, uh, as any conversion of 20,000 plus accounts uh, will. But uh, we feel like we're in a good position now to, to get back in growth mode. We're excited about some of the stuff we're doing on the organic growth side, uh, helping our teams with lead generation and, and also on the inorganic side, which was really core to our offering historically uh, with experience advisor recruiting and M&A, which is where we've worked together quite a bit in the past. You mentioned um, you know, all this flexibility now. What, what kind of things specifically do you see now or that you are you're having to one of the things that i i follow someone named um alex hermosi who's a real business guy and he's he's a younger guy uh went to vanderbilt and um very smart individual and one of the things that he talks about is your ability to uh say say no to things right and or he uses the matrix since you're using movies i'll use movies um, he uses the matrix <laughs> as an example and he calls it the woman in the red dress and not being caught up by the woman in the red dress. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that means, um, uh, Morpheus is uh, talking to Neo and he's walking down the street and everyone's wearing black and this woman in the red dress walks down and he, and he's paying attention to the woman in the red dress and Morpheus turns around and says, are you paying attention to me or are you looking at the woman in the red dress? And as he turns back around, Agent Smith's got a gun to his forehead. Basically, you don't get distracted by the woman in the red dress. And so I think that's maybe what you're talking about is that you, when you come out of the broker dealer space into the RIA space, there's, there's so much more things you can do, which is good and bad. Absolutely. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. And I think, I mean, look, it, you can look at it in a lot of different facets of the business, right? Whether it's technology, it's easy to go out and tinker. There's uh, you know, the, the landscape of technology offerings that are out there expands daily and there's always something new. Um, and the great thing about being in the RIA space is they're all modular parts, right? They've all got wide open pipes from a data perspective. You can integrate them into the, into the platform pretty easily. Uh, but again, you know, it, to your point, there's almost there's a lady in the red dress. There's there's a ton of options out there. So for us, we made a strategic decision early on that we were going to be very intentional about our technology offering, for example, uh, and that ultimately we weren't going to try to be everything to everyone. There's a lot of platforms out there that say, hey, use use whatever you want, right? We felt like that was not the best approach because we would not be able to support that technology, train not only the advisors but the staff on that technology get them to be able to implement it within their practice to actually gain efficiencies. Because that's, I think, the biggest misnomer is that, hey, you've got all this great tech out there that should create capacity and build efficiencies. Well, in a lot of times you get paralysis by analysis and it, you know, it doesn't actually come to fruition. So from our perspective, we, we made a decision to, to stay you know, in line and, and really focus on some of the key tools that we think would create the greatest lift for our advisors, the best end client experience, and and really just double down on our knowledge and expertise in those areas. And and hey, if it's not a fit for everyone, so be it. Um, but we think it's it's a good solution set. Another example is you talk about kind of the uh, addressable market in the RIA space. When we were operating on Raymond James as a broker dealer, the vast majority of the teams that joined us were breakaways. They were coming out of a wirehouse. They were going independent for the first time. That was the next logical step in the progression was to make the move from a Morgan Stanley or an Edward Jones to Raymond James, leveraging the concurrent OSJ as a as a overlay. Um, you know, now what we're finding is that not only are we having a, a number of conversations and new joints coming out of the wirehouses, I don't think that trend is going to stop anytime soon. 
but we're also seeing a huge number of existing independent teams that are operating on a broker-dealer chassis looking to take the next step into the RIA space. And furthermore, you're seeing RIAs who may have operated in that space for a long time, but may not have the scale, right, necessarily to, to keep up. Or frankly, they're making less money than they were making previously because they're shouldering all the cost that want to come and fold into something. So we went from having kind of a pretty narrow niche and addressable market to it being wide open. Even when you're starting to see now firms with two, three, four billion in assets that are coming alongside of us and saying, okay, well, to, hey, if together we make 10, you know, that's better than you know, each of us operating independently, what synergies could exist? I think that's the lady in the red dress, right? Because from our perspective and going down those roads, there's typically not an appetite to roll down their ADV. They want to operate separately. They want to leverage a lot of the operational infrastructure we have, but not ultimately plug into our firm. And so you end up in this, you know, thought process of is the juice worth the squeeze? So, you know, I think from from our perspective, we're kind of finding our way in in what the right target market is, what the right target advisor is, you know, for our firm. And, you know, I think that's been an exercise in uh, continuing to define our values and our culture, um, but also making sure that we're, we're staying focused on, on firms where we can, we can truly add the most value. Yeah. And actually when he talks about the, the woman in red dress, and I actually, I might put a link into the, into uh, there's a YouTube video that he goes and talks just about this. And what he actually says is, um, at different levels, the woman in the red dress gets hotter and hotter, right? So that when you're when you're earlier, an earlier, uh, I'll just say an entrepreneur, right? This is maybe not really. This is an entrepreneurial conversation, right? Um, when you're an early entrepreneur, um, you know you have you you have to be careful about saying no to the the thousand dollar opportunities or a hundred thousand dollar opportunities. As you get bigger and bigger, it's even bigger opportunities. So for someone like you, you're now into the space where you have to say, okay, $2 billion opportunity. Two years ago, you would have run, you would have probably run through a wall for that opportunity, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're at where you're at and you're getting size and scale. And so $2 billion sounds great, but if it's not the right cultural fit, it's taking you off what you're focusing on. It's actually going to, it actually could be a bad thing. And so your ability, right, your ability to say no to a $2 billion opportunity, where most people will be like, what are you out of your mind? $2 billion. Right. But I, I get it because I'm I, I see that a lot with RIAs where they'll come to me and they'll be like, well, we want to be a buyer or seller. We're not really sure. Right. And then I find a potential. Let's say they come in, they want to be a seller. They're they're to your point, they're done with the with dealing with a lot of the things they have to deal with nowadays as the SEC has gotten more and more difficult, similar to FINRA. Um, it's not like what it used to be. And they want to roll, they want to merge or whatever. But when you really, when you get to the table with a buyer and a seller, all of a sudden the buyer's like, yeah, but I don't want to do this. And yeah, my, my ADV is, you know, I've had my, my ADV for 25 years and I don't want to give it up. And, you know, I don't want to give up this and I want to run money my way. And I want to, then I want to, I want to, I want to blah, blah, blah. Right. And, and, you know, it, and it becomes very difficult and you, and sometimes you have to be able to learn to walk away. And that is basically saying no to the woman in the red dress that got hotter and hotter. So I, I applaud you for that. What, what was some of the, aside from that, you know, when you look at, and again, not, not that we, I don't want to go into the, you know, sort of the, the, um, the decisions that led up to leaving Raymond James. Right. But when you left Raymond James, 
Um, and I'm sure you would agree that it was a great partner for you for the for the time that you were there. Um, you must have had some ideas or concerns about what you th- what you thought was going to happen with your new, also say new structure, right? Uh, and your and your partner, Mer- we can get into maybe Merchant and how they've helped you. Give my audience some idea of like, hey, listen, this is what I thought was going to end up happening, and here's what's actually. Yeah, we can definitely dig in there. Um, so I think the some of the biggest surprises, right, in making the move was just the, I think the sheer amount of work that is involved in handling the blocking and tackling, right? Like that's something that you, you take for granted a lot, I think, in an independent broker-dealer chassis. For example, you know, if we had a an issue with a client account, you know, you call Raymond James Branch Services. You have a technology issue, you call the Technology Service Center at Raymond James, right? It was, uh, and so I think that the broker dealers definitely have their place, um, especially in this movement towards independence. And I think you'll hear me say this quite a bit. I'm an advocate of independence first and foremost. And and there's a lot of advisors who I think would be a much better fit for a structure like a like a Raymond James or an LPL, an independent broker dealer type structure. Um, you know, I think that so for us having to to make that transition from being an overlay on that platform, right, which is where because they were handling a lot of that blocking and tackling, we were able to focus on a lot of the higher level business consulting. I remember we've done you know some whiteboarding sessions in your office with advisor teams talking through you know their longer term succession plan and past equity ownership and things like that. So because they handled a lot of the blocking and tackling. We were able to really um, hone our skills on these kind of value-add, consultative-type processes, whether that's business consulting, whether it's helping firms with succession planning, whether it's inorganic growth opportunities, practice management. So that's where we had gotten really good of sitting on, on Ray J as an overlay. The shift to RIA, the heaviest lift for us, was starting to shoulder those operational functions. And the custodial partners are great. Uh, we, we leverage Fidelity as our primary custodian. Uh, we've recently added Schwab and we're now onboarding assets onto the Schwab platform. We'll continue to expand uh, our custodial relationships because we do think that's one of the great advantages to being an RIA is we're no longer captive to one platform, right? We're now an institutional client of the street and we can leverage competition for our clients' benefits. And so being able to have uh, these different custodial offerings and vendor solutions on the menu is critically important. But with that, we have to be able to support all of those functions, right? You know, we have to build our own compliance program. And thankfully, we've got Courtney Haddad, who uh, ran supervision for 20 plus years uh, at Ray J, longtime colleague of mine, is our chief compliance officer. So, but again, you're building a compliance program from scratch, leveraging third-party attorneys and consultants to help us do that, but then going and executing upon it. When it comes to service, we built our own concierge service team. Uh, so our advisor's first call is to our service team, and they're supporting them, helping them with everything from you know issues on the custodial platforms to some of our other tech vendors and being able to connect them to the right spots and see that through. Those are all functions that we necessarily didn't have to serve before. And so with that, you know, again, it, it involved us going out and bringing in new team members that have experience in the space. Guys like Joe McQuaid, who was the chief operating officer at an RIA, Casey Bates, who was former United Capital, and then most recently Goldman, uh, running their organic growth programs within the PFM channel, which is a separate conversation that's obviously a hot topic these days. Um, so, you know, going out and getting really highly skilled 
individuals who have operated in the RIA space was critically important because we needed to go and backfill the blocking and tackling, the fundamentals, and make sure we did that really well to be able to support growth on an ongoing basis. And a big focus of us now is, okay, well, how do we continue to take more off of our advisor's plates in the field, right? Are there things that we can handle at the home office, things like client onboarding, things like money movements, right? That can be done through a centralized ticketing system to where that task is taken off of the branch. But more importantly, that allows them to deliver the same client experience and have the same advisor experience, regardless of what custodial platform they're on. So that has been, I think, the biggest wake-up call for us uh, that we probably, even though we knew it was out there, we weren't prepared for, it was, hey, you know, we're now the house, right? It's time for concurrent to be concurrent. That's not just the glamorous side of it, but it's also the, you know, getting down and dirty, nitty gritty operational side of it as well. As you were saying those things, which can be, which is and can be overwhelming. um, I think that is a message to those that are listening that are considering building out their own RIA, right? Because they feel like, oh, I I get a hundred cents of every dollar. I make more money and all those, (laughs) all those false uh, realities, right? It just goes to show you what it does, what it does entail to build a quality RIA, right, or a quality firm that's that that's really just using uh, on the RIA side. Um, it's not just about building your ADV and then hanging a shingle, right, and saying, "Oh, I'm going to use a third-party consulting firm um, to do my compliance." Well, it doesn't work that way. And I do think that to your earlier comment. Uh, when I look at the the industry as a whole and the wave of movement that I see over the next, I say, f- seven to ten years, part of that wave of movement and it's it's starting to starting to happen today. And you made a comment about that. Is there there are RIAs that were formed? I'll say, you know, less than ten years ago, right? Not. I mean, there's lots of ones that were older, but ones that were less than ten years ago that are. 500 million, 250 million, maybe a billion, a little less than a billion that are probably starting to rethink uh, this idea of going going it alone. And I believe there will be a a movement towards these roll-ups within the, just like there are with BDs, right? There's going to be this movement, huge movement of, of RIAs rolling up into larger RIAs because it's becoming more of a daunting task to, to operate through all of that. Um, you know, one of the things that we didn't really touch on yet, at least is your relationship with merchant. I would imagine, um, and we haven't really talked about this, right. Um, but how has that relationship helped you during this transition and how do you see them continuing to be a good partner with, with you moving forward? Yeah. I mean, the, the relationship with merchant has been invaluable for us. Um, you know, one of the reasons that we chose to partner with Merchant in the first place, if you just get into the core of you know what they're all about, Ron, it's they take minority non-controlling stakes in their underlying firms. That very much aligned with our philosophy of not wanting to turn entrepreneurs into employees, right? So again, the way that we think about our affiliated partner firms, right, is very much in line with their core philosophy. Um, beyond that, the the people right, are the, you know, and again, it expands even outside of the four walls of Merchant, are extremely valuable from a strategic guidance standpoint. They've all operated in the RIA space, guys like Tim Bellow and Matt Brinker and David Brazic and Rick D'Amico, right? All of these guys have a tremendous amount of experience 
operating within the RIA space. So, you know, again, they narrowed the field for us when it came to, hey, what are we going to use for a friendly broker dealer? What are we going to use for these different technology solutions? It was, um, you know, a guy told me when I first started in the business, he's like, look, Nate, you know, you can wear any color shirt you want as long as it's white or blue. Um, I felt like it was kind of the same conversations. Hey, you can use any UMA platform you want as long as it's InvestNet or SmartX, right? Like it's, you know, so there's, um, so from our perspective, I think they did a great job of helping us make decisions quickly, which was necessary in that time frame. Um, they were able to leverage the relationships outside of their four walls, whether it's with the different custodians and vendors, um, to be able to support us in that regard. And really, they've operated as an extension, you know, of our team from a finance perspective and so forth. A big part of our, when you think about concurrent as a whole, I like to think of it in, in two different pieces. There's concurrent, the platform, right? Which is a lot of what we've talked about, the tech stack, us handling compliance and supervision, advisors sitting on our ADV as IARs. There's that, I'll call it the, the core you know, operating model in which we deploy. The second piece of this is the partnership structure, right? So as part of our, our offering, uh, and again, we think about it as opportunity without obligation. Our teams aren't forced to participate in our partnership structure, although the vast majority of teams do. But under that model, we take minority non-controlling stakes in our affiliated partner firms. They sell us a small piece of equity in their business. They get cash and equity in our business in exchange for it. We think that creates a tremendous amount of alignment between us and our firms. It's transformed the relationship in a lot of ways from that of a vendor to that of a partner. And so... Merchant has been instrumental, obviously, in the structure of that, in the capital behind that. Um, and as part of this move to the RIA, we gave our, our firms another opportunity to sell additional revenue in their business, right? Uh, and so for that, for teams that wanted to access liquidity, they had that opportunity as a part of this move. And so, you know, that uh, ultimately necessitated Merchant upsizing their investment in us, bringing more capital to the table. So, you know, they put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. But I would say that, you know, on both the core operating platform and the partnership, uh, they've been an invaluable piece of the puzzle in, in making this a reality. Cool. And where do you see, when you look at your vision of, of concurrent and that relationship, where do you see concurrent, you know, five years from now or 10 years from now as a company? We, we talk a lot internally about this idea of, of, you know, we're building a business, not a transaction, right? And I think that's even evidenced by the way that we do these transactions, the way that we do these minority buy-ins, the multiples that we pay. We're in a position, you know, where we're keeping our leverage ratios low. Um, you know, we're not getting over our skis from a valuation standpoint. And I think that's insulated us pretty well, especially as interest rates have risen. Right. You've seen, you know, some of the other models that are out there. There's a good article, I think, even yesterday that was talking about some of the, the more traditional roll ups that are buying majority or 100 percent you know, interest in these firms that are paying these astronomical multiples and doing so and running these extremely high leverage ratios. Um, you know, what happens when the music stops? Right. Interest rates have a 500 basis point move. OK, now, you know, now we're in a different position because a lot of the debt that's available to these firms is floating rate. That really impairs the cash flow, and you pair that with some market downturn. Okay, well now we're in trouble, right? So from our perspective, I think we've been again very intentional in how we deploy capital uh, in the model that we're leveraging because you know we do like that minority position uh, because it you know what we're doing is we're betting on our firms, we're investing in them as growth companies, and we think we can actually help them move the needle in doing so, and that's our best opportunity to win together. So for us, I would say that you know our 
structure, the foundation that we have is sound. And again, regardless of you know what interest rates continue to do, or if there is a market pullback, uh, you know at any point here in the near future, we feel like we're we're very well positioned to continue to stick to our knitting and what we're doing. Um, but we think that with this expanded opportunity set that's available to us, as you alluded to, RIAs that maybe want to roll down their ADV, want to become part of something bigger, right? Teams that continue to want independence, whether that's the traditional employee to independent or firms that are already independent in a BD chassis that want the capabilities of the RIA. We think that that expanding opportunity set will, you know, again, continue to, to drive growth for us. So when we talk internally about like what's our three-year goals, you know, we're looking at, hey, we think we can get to within a three-year time frame, you know, 20 billion in assets, right, is the number that we throw out there and talk about internally. And but we think we can do it by being, you know, very intentional and deliberate in in who we're doing it with and what firms we're we're adding to the platform. And when you look at that and you think about your target, your target audience, right? From your perspective now, who who is the or what the, what does the ideal partner firm look like to you today? Sure, I think that it's you know in a lot of ways it's more qualitative than quantitative, and I know that's kind of a non-answer, but I'll we'll get to the other side of it too. <laughs> but there is a there's an element of like, what is their motivation? Like, what are they trying to build? Are, and, and I think that can take a lot of different shapes and sizes. You can have firms that are, you know, primarily organic growth focused. They generate a tremendous amount of client referrals. We have a firm, Allegiant Wealth Partners, that's based in uh, Norfolk, Virginia, Nashville, Tennessee, that one of the partners had a, you know, 20 year plus career in the Department of Defense. And they've got this, this niche market that they go after and they're primarily organic growth focused, right? Which if you think about concurrent historically, it's a recruiting firm. Well, for them, like they're a phenomenal fit for our organization because the problems that we can help them solve are those entrepreneurial problems. It's how do I start to scale my business? How do I start to scale my operations to be able to do more of these seminars? How do I use you know, digital marketing and, and webinar formats, again, to, to attract a wider audience? And then what do I do with those leads and opportunities as they come in? Like that's, that's a really interesting problem for us to solve, right? That's a great target fit. On the other end of the spectrum, we have firms that are primarily recruiting focused, right? They've planted a flag in a market. They're looking to, they're building out infrastructure. They've got office space and shared support staff available to really cater to those tuck-in advisors who might be coming out of a wirehouse, may not be bringing an assistant with them, want the economies of scale and the economic benefits of independence, but still like some of those same conveniences. That's a great model as well, right? We can do that, that, that model too. Um, and so, so from our perspective, I, I think it's more attitude, it's motivation. It's, do they have that entrepreneurial drive? You know, what are they looking to build and where can we add value is call it, That's probably the first litmus test that we go through with a team from there. You know, I think that you can start to get into, I think some of the trends that you mentioned, in addition to the aging advisor demographics and this need for succession planning and this talent gap, you've got that converging with this generational wealth transfer from a client perspective, right? So advisors are going to need to be able to serve more clients, right? If you And I'm not a big subscriber to the idea of fee compression is imminent and it's going to crash into the ground and everyone's going to use, you know, beta portfolios and, and so forth. But the, I do think there is, um, there's, there's something to this idea that advisors 
will need to, to be able to expand the scope of what they can provide to clients. They'll need to be able to serve a larger number of clients. And that can be achieved simultaneously with helping to solve for the talent gap. And what that means is we've got to start to build people and we've got to start to invest in their development and we have to find ways to create specialization. And so that's another great opportunity for us. If you have a team that's saying, hey, we want to continue to, to build out our infrastructure, we want to hire talent, we need to figure out how we can help train and develop these folks to become either successors for our business or to be able to be growth drivers for our business. Again, another really good fit for us that may fall outside of the traditional norms. So I think when you start to, to look at kind of what this triangulates, yes, we operate an RIA platform that's great for independent advisors. Yes, we have a minority equity partnership story, right? That can help advisors punch above their weight in some future monetization opportunity. Um, but I think the where we hit our sweet spot is when you know those pieces are attractive and they're doing it for the right reasons. But there's also a deeper entrepreneurial drive and motivation that they're looking to accomplish, and and that's where I think we do our best work. So one of the things that you, um, I was being cognizant of time here. One of the things that um, that you, I'll say, did, but you, I'm sure you still do, uh, with some of our clients exceptionally well, when you were lifting an advisor out of the wire into into independence, right? Is your ability to help them stand up their office, right? Their business. I'll say their business, not their office, but their business, which typically had a brick and mortar location, right? How has that changed? Because you did an exceptionally good job uh, with that. You know, we use this term. We always talk about. Uh, Stacy always talks about the the lemon in your conference room, the the neon lemon thing. <laughs> the look for lemon sign. Look yeah, for lemon sign, right? <laughs> um, but that was evident in all of the transitions that you you do with your clients because there's there's going to be issues that you come up with. But in this new space that you're in. Now that you don't have Raymond James, you're working with Fidelity and, and now with Schwab, which is which is great to know because there's some opportunities there. I think you and I can talk about later. But how do you how is that different today when you're lifting out an, a, a team uh, from a wire or you know they're not they're 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 not independent already. They already have their own office, but they're leaving Morgan or Wells or Merrill or whatever, right? What does that look like today now that you're on your own? Yeah, I, I don't think the the fundamental idea behind that support hasn't really changed. Um, playing college ball, my coach always used to say, I think it was a John Wooden quote, like, it's not difficult, but it's hard, right? I think that's what that comes down to. Setting up an office, you know, both from a locating space, coordinating the build out, project managing that, um, outfitting the office with technology, which shameless plug, you guys do a great job of, of supporting that, whether it's through the phone systems and the, and the tech support and, and being able to bring, um, you know, the different uh, hardware procurement stuff to the table. Uh, but that's, uh, and, and we've, we've worked together on a number of different office builds in that capacity. I think from our perspective, it's, it's not rocket science, right? But when the advisors, you know, core competency is serving clients and they're in the middle of this upheaval when, you know, they resign from their firm and they're going out and I think in a lot of ways it's a validating experience, but they're going out and getting their clients to come with them, right? Especially if it's a non-protocol type situation. Um, you know, 
we want them focused on that. So if our team who has knowledge and expertise, who have done it for our home offices, both in Tampa and San Diego, and have done it for countless teams out in the field, if we can shoulder that practice management burden and help support it from a financial perspective, right? Those things aren't complex problems to solve for. They just take work ethic, right? And the and, and know-how. And so that's something that we can absolutely step in and do. So I don't think that's really changed in this in this process. I do think when you look at the mix of advisors that are attracted to concurrent uh, in the new world, right? It's um, we are seeing a much higher prevalence though of existing independent teams. So I would say we're doing less of that uh, because we are now you know able to attract existing independent RIAs, firms that are independent broker dealers that have the infrastructure already set up. So I would say it's less prevalent, but in terms of our willingness and capacity to do so, we we absolutely will continue to, to operate in that uh, in that area if necessary. All right. Well, life of an entrepreneur, things don't always go the way that you want them to go. And um, right at the end of our of our conversation with Nate Lenz, which was a great conversation, uh, the internet went out, um, and so uh, we're going to cut it short. I wanted to just uh, thank Nate for joining me. Uh, it was a great conversation. I uh, really enjoyed the evolution and watching it sort of firsthand as he's uh, as they've moved in, and grown the firm concurrent uh, to what it is today and uh, excited to see what it's going to be uh, in the future. Um, anyway, so for my audience, thanks for joining me. Hopefully you learned something. Hopefully you learned uh, a, a little bit about what it takes to break away from an independent broker dealer and build out your own RIA. Um, if you're thinking about... Um, building out your own RIA, uh, you should definitely listen to this again because I think Nate uh, outlined some of the challenges and difficulties that they had, and they were fortunate to have a good partner like Merchant on their side to help them through those things. But uh, anyway, if you have any questions, I've, as always, give me a call, 856-316-4651. Uh, don't forget to check out my Instagram account at franklarosa.elite. You can also DM me there if you have any questions or want to talk about your situation and what uh, what you should do or can do to better it for their future. Um, and also like and subscribe. And uh, if you know anybody that's, that's going through something like this or struggling with the idea of what to do, uh, just share this with them. Uh, hopefully it'll help them. And um, it's always good to give back. So thanks everybody. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.